Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer a Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer a Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. Uh, joining me today, Jim Zipcode, a longtime friend of the show, been on all sorts of episodes with us before, but uh, we're here to talk about a concern, I guess you could call it, for the 2021 season, because it is, but also just a kind of a weird personnel situation which occurred with Ben Mason. Jim, how you doing, buddy? I'm good, thanks, Ken. Uh, great to be here. Yeah, always a pleasure to have you on. Always great football conversation. So why don't you take us through the Ben Mason situation from your perspective, and I'll kind of chirp in when I when I have something I want to say. Right. So the one thing or the big question is, was Ben Mason a waste of a draft pick or, you know, or not? Why or why not? And uh, I think that all of us who were watching the draft when that pick was announced, I think probably 75% of Ravens fans had kind of a what the heck is this reaction to it? Why are we drafting another mighty man of Michigan when there's no depth at offensive tackle on the roster, you know, there's, there's so much more positional value to be had. What is with this pick? And now uh, it's, what, eight months later, six months later, and the guy's off the roster. And yeah. uh, so, so I think that triggers a lot of, a lot of questions. Let's, let's, let's break it down a little bit in terms of when we were upset by this, because draft day is a good place to start. And there are defenders of the Baltimore Ravens and their, uh, uh, you know, moves and, and front office that will say it was the best player available at the time. It was it, it met their needs. And I think I think there's one reason that since has come up during the offseason, which indicated to me that it was a good insurance move or it was an insurance move. Yep. Uh, maybe we talk about that first. I mean, yeah, so we didn't know this at the time, I think. I believe the first reporting of this was in May, maybe mid-May, that uh, Patrick Ricard had had off-season hip surgery for a torn labrum. Uh, and, and I don't believe that had been publicized in April when the draft went down. Uh, so I looked this up last night, and uh, uh, he gave... Um, so Patrick returned to practice finally on August 16th, which is just, what, two weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago? Uh, and he gave a little interview and he gave a little timetable of his hip situation. And so one of the things he said in his interview was that over his whole career, he'd continually had muscle strains in and around his hip area. 
And after the 2019 season, he had an MRI and it found a torn labrum in what he called his other hip, I guess not the one he was concerned about. So he played with that through the whole of the 2020 season. And then he had another MRI at the end of the season and was told that if he kept playing on it, it would get worse and cost him time. So he said that he went to Colorado right after this season. So the season ended in Buffalo on January 16th. So I don't know what he means by right after that. But he had surgery in Colorado for the torn labrum in his hip. He rehabbed there, he said, for about a week, then back to his home in Massachusetts for two months before he came down to Baltimore for uh, the start of OTAs and he continued his rehab over the summer in Baltimore. So that means on draft day in April, Eric DaCosta and the Ravens had probably not seen Patrick Ricard since he got hip surgery for a torn labrum uh, or maybe two torn labrums. So, uh, so that's something that they knew in April that we did not, that there was a risk that Patrick Ricard might not be ready for the start of the season. Right. It's, a, it's a interesting because uh, it, a lot of people thought that uh, that's tremendous medical information, by the way. I did not know all that medical background. I believe Patrick Ricard has been at camp since yep. the beginning, practicing normally. Just it's the 16th is when he talked to the media, I guess, was, oh, okay. uh, on, on August. No, I, I'm sorry. Uh, Jeff Zerebeck re- re- reported on August 16th or 15th in The Athletic that Ricard had returned. Now, maybe that means he returned to full practice. Maybe he'd been doing drills or something oh, on the side, dressed. I, I, you know, I've been there a lot of that time. I'm, I, I'm trying to remember if Ricard's missing. And you know what I've done? I've just, in the last couple of days, I've thrown out my little rosters. You get a roster every day at camp and you kind of circle the numbers and you see everybody you see and make sure they're in. I, I don't remember Ricard being out, but I have to look back at some of my past, uh, past stuff to, to make sure of that. Anyway, the point is the Ravens knew that there was a significant risk, at least, uh, you know, a risk that Ricard would not be available and they might need a new fullback because, hey, a fullback and particularly a fullback who can also maneuver and play tight end, not that they're that rare, um, is a significant need for Greg Roman's office. Huge. So that was understandable, at least from that perspective, that as an insurance move, they would do that. One question I have being an actuary and pricing insurance for a living is whether, you know, what, whether or not that was too expensive an insurance policy to buy. And, you know, a lot of people, I think, on draft day thought Ben Mason will fall to a UDFA rank. They certainly thought it after they heard his name. Uh, there's other guys we should need. And, and you know, the, the, the key names I, I was thinking of were Forsyth and Tonga. Tonga is probably the guy because the defensive line is so old that I would have taken. But also, uh, how about our Darius Washington? They mm-hmm. paid him a lot of money as a UDFA. I mean, I would have to think you could have done it for less with Mason if you really were even were concerned about him uh, having competition from other teams for a fullback, which, hey, you'll have less of that than you will at slot corner. Yeah, and so you mentioned two names. You mentioned Stone Forsyth, who's an offensive tackle who made the Seahawks roster on final cutdowns. You mentioned Ardarius Washington, who we got. Uh, although I wonder how draftable he was from a size perspective. I wonder if teams might have been concerned right. about him from a threshold. And then a third guy you didn't mention was Landon Young, who is an offensive tackle who made the Saints roster. Okay. I, he was not on my radar, but he may have Nor been arm length uh, problem I had with him. Let me just check on that real quick. All right. Uh, okay. So th- those guys. So there were alternatives. There were alternatives yeah. on draft day. They're, they're, uh, not, that wouldn't be the, a rule out factor. 33 and three quarters wouldn't be a rule out factor for me. I'd have to see the other tape and other, 
other issues there. Yeah, he wasn't uh, on my radar either. But now that he's made a roster, you know, we have to be have to consider him as a potential alternative too. Yeah, it's a, it, it was a strange pick. It was one of the stranger picks the Ravens have ever made. They've never considered a fifth to be a low amount of draft capital. Uh, you know, it's that's they've you know had thirty total fifth round picks in their history. 10 of them have been very fine NFL players. And, and, you know, if you consider them lottery tickets or die rolls or whatever you might, then that's a pretty high chance to get a good player. Now that was towards the end of the fifth round. And it's really more like a sixth round pick. But if you look at their sixth round picks, they've been pretty good too with the Dallas Thomas and Chad Williams and, uh, Haruki Nakamura and Clark and Elliott. I mean, they, they've, they've, they've got quite a number of good players yeah. in the sixth round too. So. Yeah. But now, now we're getting into the question of how deep was this draft? Uh, Legitimate question. Yeah. And so uh, there's been a lot of reporting maybe in the last week or so, and Jeff Zriebeck from The Athletic has done a fair amount of it, that the Ravens, uh, well, we knew actually that a lot of teams did not regard this as a very good draft. Mm-hmm. And there was interviewing uh, around draft time saying that this year, a fifth round pick in this draft might be more equivalent to like a seventh round pick in another draft. So, you know, if the Ravens usually go into a draft with 200 to 250 athletes that they mark as draftable, that they consider to be draftable, then I'm going to, I'm going to guess Eric DaCosta doesn't let me in his draft room or look at his board, but I'm going to guess maybe they had a hundred less than that, maybe 150 guys whom they considered to be of quote draftable unquote caliber going into this draft. Yeah, I mean, I think that's very possible because the small school scouting obviously didn't really have very much to scout at all. Only a few of the schools really played a significant schedule of, you know, four, five, six games. Um, the all the very heavy concentration, including all of the Ravens picks, were from Power Five conferences. I, I'm sorry, not quite because because they drafted Stevens, who was a non-Power Five guy from SMU. But I think he had had a Power Five background, right, in one of his other prior school right, stops. He? he was at UCLA or something as a I running think so. back. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, everyone basically, we're, we're coming for you, the Power Five or the the uh, the group of five conferences. Those right. were those were very uh, uh, concentrated. And you know, other than Lance, there was the left tackle from North Dakota State. Also, there was the guy from the lineman from Wisconsin, Whitewater. There just were only a handful of picks that were from truly small schools this year. And I think one of the one of the benefits of having a lot of picks next year is that the Ravens, particularly mid and late round picks, there'll be a flood of talent from those small schools that I'm hoping DaCosta can take advantage of in terms People, of people, you know, guys who deferred their entrance into the draft for next year to give themselves yeah. a better shot. Yeah. And so what we saw really is is uh, just in the last month or so, we we saw DaCosta move a ton of resources from this year's draft into next year's draft by trading some late round picks for what fourth and fifth round picks next year. Right. So, so we traded, he traded Wade and it's actually a fifth in 2023. So the side of that trade, Belichick also understood that, that next year's draft capital is quite valuable. The fifth in 2023, Um, there might, there might be a two year tail to the effects of Mm -hmm. the COVID year because other players will get backed up and won't be able to leave early, you know, et cetera, et cetera. The normal domino effect of that. Uh, So there may be a two year effect of it and the Ravens will get some of that benefit back. But the Wade pick, any way you look at it is doesn't give you a Zen feeling unless you also say to yourself, well, wait a minute, I'm just going to consider our Darius Washington, our fifth round pick and, uh, uh, weighed our seventh round pick, and then I feel all all of a sudden okay about it because I traded my seven for a five and a seven, and I, I I have my fifth round pick performing you know well enough to make the roster. So uh, so that's exciting to me. 
Yeah, a little, a little disappointed, I don't know about you, Jim, about the Ravens not getting younger at two key positions. The first, the defensive line, I think we've said a lot about it, so I, I don't need to say it again. The second is a cornerback where, you know, the Ravens, uh, although they did draft a fair amount of youth in the secondary, specifically at cornerback, they didn't get a lot young on the outside, a lot younger on the outside. They already had Westry, so he was a futures contract from earlier in the year. The draft, their only pickup really was Washington. Uh, Steven's a guy you could call a, could call a, a a slot corner as well, but they they didn't really replace you know the guys who are going to be leaving, which is uh, Peters at some point I mm-hmm. uh, will leave, and he's already an older player, obviously, and um, uh, Averett, who's just completed his fourth year, which means he's of course at risk of leaving uh, to a free agent deal. I hope they can get something signed. Jimmy Smith perpetually on the last year of his right. <laughs> deal, but you never know. So it's just, they didn't really address age in the secondary particularly well with this draft. Even I think the, the roster is brittle in a couple key areas, right? So you mentioned defensive line, corner, the front line talent is amazing. The second line talent is uh, questionable and offensive tackle. They, they haven't had any up and coming players at OT in uh, well, since, I mean, they, they had Orlando Brown and that's yeah. it. Yeah. So, so, it's, it's a high wire act. And it reminds me of last year, uh, the top two safeties played, what, 100% of the snaps, right? Basically. So, so that's, that's brittle, too. We got really lucky in the very back end. So I think that DaCosta, on the one hand, has done an amazing job of, of putting a competitive roster on the field. But, man, it is brittle. And a couple of key injuries could uh, could really knock the whole thing. I, I have to knock on wood. Can we take a time out for yeah. you to, to do some knocking here? Yeah, I mean they did they did well this this preseason to get a dividend for having good health and they really I mean I know LJ Ford is gone and that's very sad and there's there's other players uh, who've been out for a period of time Rashad Bateman of course we're we're kind of questioning already whether you know how, when he'll be able to get back right. on the field but basically the offensive line is healthy and and they were able to turn that into two picks Mance as a pick upgrade and then they traded Bredesen for for another very significant pick upgrade what so, they get for Bredesen again Bredesen uh, four for a five but based on the potential quality of these teams it could be a relatively high four for a relatively low five now mm-hmm. that said it could also be that if the Giants get a compensatory pick they're able to trade that to us uh, in the fourth and then give us a fifth. I, I don't but, know how the thing is structured. But a fourth in a in a draft that's perceived to be very deep and yeah. talented versus a fifth in a draft that was perceived to be weak. Well, no, it's a it's a it's a fourth for a fifth both in this upcoming draft. Oh, okay. So it's a move up of like about uh I think it'll be end up being between 25 and 50 JJ points. Uh, mm-hmm. so it's equivalent of a fifth round pick roughly or a, a early fifth round pick. Yeah. Okay. So, so we have we have a, a risking a fifth round pick for Ben Mason in a thin and shallow draft uh, versus the possibility that Patrick Ricard might not be ready to go at the beginning of the season or even maybe for the first half of the season. Uh, so if we're looking at Ben Mason as strictly an insurance policy, uh, my first impulse is that the fullback is so valuable to Greg Roman and what and what the Ravens do offensively. That just on its own merit, on the merits of being an insurance policy, I have to say that uh, there's a there's a very good basis for making that pick. Okay, I and and I don't. I'm going to say as an insurance policy, my first thing is I don't have a problem with making a pick on it. Yeah. So if if you if you had a UDFA guy you like and you want to use a lower pick on it, I don't think a five, but a lower pick on it, I don't have a problem. You know, trade down if you can. If there's no takers, that's a problem. 
Mm-hmm. And you kind of have to then reevaluate this on another level is really how hard is it for me to get a fullback that'll meet my needs? Could I train Eric Tomlinson to be that guy? Mm-hmm. Could I could I convert another defensive lineman out of college? Could I, you know, find another defensive end or something who struggled in his NFL career is now 25, 26 years old uh, after maybe having a decent status as a draft pick before and is ready to convert. You know, there's so many of these guys out there that I think it it it's every other team that needs a fullback on an occasional basis has no problem going to a defensive lineman to find that guy. You know, it, it, a lot of those guys, you know, DNs in particular, have some athleticism that's very positive to, to use at fullback, and, and they certainly have the size. Uh, you know, I just I, I question whether or not they had to actually take a fullback, and it kind of. I'm not a big, you know, anti-Michigan pick guy. Right. A lot of people don't like that. But it did kind of leave a little extra bad taste in your mouth that that it's a Harbaugh connection pick. That, that uh, you know, that just shouldn't be the reason for anything. Uh, you know, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't trust my brother's evaluation of, of a player over my own scouting department's evaluation. Maybe they, had, maybe they were aligned. But, you know, anyway, I wouldn't trust one over the other. Well, I, I think that we're assuming a lot there, right? So we know that John Harbaugh spends a fair amount of time on the Michigan practice. You can find on the Michigan campus, I'm sorry, you can find videos of Jim getting John to address his team you know, before some practices. So, so we don't know that uh, our Harbs was sitting at home talking on the phone to Jim Harbs, and, and, and that's his only exposure to Ben Mason. I'm sure that he was there and had seen him with his own mm-hmm. eyes. Um, I think... So now I'm putting myself in a position of defending this pick kind of more vigorously than I feel. Mm-hmm. But this is a team captain. He uh, he won the team's, you know, the, the college team's toughest man award, uh, at least in one season, maybe in multiple seasons. He's a versatile guy. He has a lot of special teams value. He's young. If you think of Patrick Ricard as possibly done, because mm-hmm. it's April and you haven't seen him and he's had multiple sure. torn labrums in both hips. Then, then maybe you need to get a young guy with upside at that position. And maybe you feel that way anyway. And this is an undervalued asset, you know, a, a guy who will do more for you than he will for other teams. Right. I mean, and he, a, he played for some defense, by the way, when he arrived at, first arrived at Michigan. Is, does this underscore the need for the Ravens to find whoever that guy is right now? And add him to one of the unfilled spots on their practice squad and get him used to what the Ravens do with a fullback. Yeah, maybe. You have to do that if you're you're now in a position where you really thought Ben Mason was providing you insurance. Now, some of that insurance has already played out. You got to think of it as, hey, Ricard's already back on the practice field. That's a major hurdle he had to to cross, he had to clear in order to to be on the field. it's it may be that the the insurance need is now twenty percent of what it was, or it might be that it's fifty percent of what it was. So to me, uh, you know, a, a fair amount of live fire would have to go go by before I would consider you know it, it the the risk gone. I think we still have some PTSD from the Dennis Pitta situation here out <laughs> about him yeah. in particular, and and what you know how serious this could be for Ricard. Yeah. Uh- Right. I, I, I mean, a, a guy who's only returned to practice to full participation fairly recently, we didn't see him in any preseason games. I think for us to feel 100% confident that he's all the way back, we do got to see him lined up, you know, making a hit on somebody, bouncing back up. 
So, so that's fair. If you say that, uh, only a certain, like we needed the insurance, but we don't need it anymore. That's, that's maybe not entirely true. You know, we, we don't need it as badly perhaps, Mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, this is interesting though. Ben Mason is not on another team's active roster. Ben Mason is on a practice squad. That's, That's right. So he, you know, he's, he's still available to be, you know, if, if, if something happened to Patrick Ricard the next Monday night or something, like he can be poached uh, yes. by the Ravens as easily as he could have been poached by another team if you were on our practice squad. I mean, it's incredible, frankly, that the it, sh- it shows you probably that the guy would not have been drafted because if Belichick is comfortable not even putting a claim for him when he's in the middle of the pack, there are probably fullback te- rel- teams that use a fullback that were behind him in the draft order. Like the Ravens were who use a fullback, but, yep. but some other team who actually, you know, might have had a need. But Belichick said, you know what? There's no rush. There's just not a lot of demand for this guy. We'll get him. We'll well, we'll, we'll make our pitch to recruit him, in fact, is what it really is, to our yeah. practice squad instead of theirs, because we think we got a better opportunity for him in in the in the short run. And look, I mean, they've got Ricard, a Pro Bowl fullback. We've got whoever, and you know, he's not. And and there's just a better chance that he's going to be playing for us, that he's going to be playing for Baltimore. I think you'll see that. The guy that the Patriots have is Jacob Johnson, Jacob with a K, and he joined their team. Uh, he was the first. He joined their team out of Germany for the NFL International Player Program oh. in 2019. He's the first player, I'm talking about Jacob Johnson of the Pats now, first player for the international player program to score a touchdown in the NFL. Week two of 2020, he caught a pass. He played uh, four games for them in 2019 before going on our IR. And then he played all 16 games for them last year with 11 starts. So they do have a guy. That's, uh, you know, that's interesting because it's a, it's a position, I think, that fullback that they've used uh, for international players, the, the Ravens had the other guy, the German uh, guy. Uh, yeah, what was his German name? Guy, Zela or something that that they would that they uh, had in position. Uh, yeah, I'm just assuming PFF does not think very highly of Jacob Johnson, unfortunately. <laughs> but he did play uh, uh, over 350 snaps for them in 2020. Spec teams uh, too, or just offense? That's offense. So, uh, you know, that's uh, the, I'm sure he played plenty of special teams as well. If he's a Belichick player, he's, you know, probably splitting his time to so let's, the roster. So let's assume that the plan for Ben Mason was A, insurance, B, uh, he's not going to make the roster. Ricard's going to come all the way back. His, this is plan B, but we're going to get him on the practice squad. He's going to serve an apprenticeship this year. Then Ricard's going to leave in free agency this offseason, yeah. and Ben Mason will be the guy next year. And if that's the plan then if you draft him rather than try to sign him as a UDFA, then that means that he's with your organization all through OTAs and all through training camp. And that means that on cutdown day, every team that needed a fullback had a fullback already. So the Pats had Jacob Johnson, the other teams that, that, that roster a fullback, they needed to get through OTAs and, and training camp with a guy. So they had a fullback number one. So if the Ravens are trying to increase their chances of getting Ben Mason, you know, he would be fullback number two for another team. Right. So I, I, I kind of see the logic for that, but I will say that the UDFA process is shortly after the draft. So they would have been able to, to determine if they had him at that point. And then that's when the Ravens plan C, or if you want to call it that is that they go out and they find the other position player who might be a good convert for the fullback position and they go out and do it. It's not like Ben Mason is so, by the way, 
perfect for this position. He had three receptions at Michigan. Three. Yeah. Yep. You know, so it's not like it's, uh, it's it's you know there, there's other guys that they could have had other other uh, uh, players who played the fullback position and it went away on them or other players who would be converts and be the kind of large fullback the Ravens seem to love. This guy uh, isn't Mason about two ninety. Uh, no, Mason's not that big. Uh, he's about 245. Oh, okay. Like that. Might be 242. Ricard, by the way, tremendously slimmed down. He lists at either 311 or 303 on the Ravens roster. The guy's 270, I would say. Really? Uh, yeah, he's, I, I, I watched them wa- watching in profile. You know, uh, Ricard walking right behind Bradley Bozeman. And Bradley Bozeman is a now a huge man. He's put on a lot of weight additionally, I think, since Alabama. I wouldn't be surprised if he's actually slightly north of what he lists up. He now lists at 325. Wow. And so that's big. And and he's the same height, basically, as Ricard, within maybe one inch. So it might be like 6'4 and 6'3 for Ricard. But Ricard is this lean, muscular-looking tight end now. And uh, he's he, there's no way in hell he weighs either 303 or 311. And, and that would make sense if he's rehabbing from a hip injury that he'd probably take some weight off in the process. And I'm not even sure it's a bad thing for him that, that, you know, he could play lighter. I think I've seen it said that Ricard played lighter last year too. And he might've been, you know, 290 ish uh, when he played and not, not 303 or 311. So Ricard came into the league having to take snaps at defensive line to justify a roster spot. If he switched entirely to offense and a skill position now, it makes sense that he would want to drop 30 ish pounds or whatever to, to play a little quicker. Yeah, he hasn't in in twenty or twenty one. He hasn't played at all on defense. I don't believe. And in nineteen, I believe he played a little on defense. Uh, but I may be wrong. Maybe it's, maybe it's eighteen was his last significant play. The two thousand. Let's see. Make sure I have the year right. The two thousand seventeen game against the Bears is the last time he had really significant play where he's forced in on an emergency basis. And I think he played something like forty two snaps in that game uh, that the Bears won in overtime in Baltimore. But they. Uh, uh, yeah, it's it's uh oh, oh wait a minute overtime. Let me get this right. Yeah, it was in Baltimore, I think. Oh, did Ricard have a? Does he have any snacks, sacks on his career? Uh, he did get a one sack, I thought, and it was maybe against Cincinnati, or maybe it was a fumble recovery on a sack because he. Okay, let's see what we got here. Don't mind interrupting this, do we? So sacks, yeah, he's got one career sack in 2019. I feel like every time I saw him on the defensive line, I feel like he popped, like he made a, a real athletic-looking move or put applied pressure or something like that. Yeah, no, he, had, he certainly had quickness, and and uh, you know he's a fun player. Period. But I, I hope this is not the end for him. I hope you know he obviously gets through the season, and we'll forget who Ben Mason was soon enough. I think that's just, true. Just, remains a kind of a funny pick. And uh, I thought we, we needed to give it the time. And I, I really appreciate discussing this with someone like you, Jim, very even keeled about this, not a, a hyper. We shouldn't have done it. We should have. And I can see the reasons for it. And I still think they kind of my own position is they probably overpaid slightly for the insurance. Right. Um, but but I don't I don't see another reason other than the insurance that it could have possibly been a good draft pick. I'm not really buying into the we brought him in house and it it. It, he can become our friend and whatnot. The, the 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 other part about everybody else having a fullback, obviously that didn't work because right. now he's Belichick's number two fullback <laughs> right, instead right. of number one fullback, rather than ours. Yeah. So uh, I think the I think the insurance aspect might be huger than we think, and I think for a guy 
who was a team captain and brought, brought all the other you know intangibles that he's supposed to bring. Maybe you're willing to pay a small premium at a position that's more important for you uh, than it is to other teams, a small premium to have some insurance there. All right. Fair enough. I want to mention two more things. Sure. And, and they, they're both having to do with the depth of this past draft. So, so Jeff Zriebeck talked a lot about how uh, this past week, he talked about how um, most drafts, the Ravens come downstairs to talk to the press after the seventh round is over because they're busy working the sixth and seventh round and maybe they want to jump back in or whatever they're, they're tracking the board. But he said after their pick in the fifth, they came down while the sixth was still ongoing and talked to the media. And his point was clearly they wanted to get the heck out of this draft pool. They just didn't want to make any more picks. They didn't like the guys, you know, who were there. So that's, to me, that's an argument for Ben Mason as, you know, they, whether they were right or not, they clearly didn't see a lot of, of extra value in this, oh. in this draft. Okay. This is the one I need to respond with. And, and Jeff and I had this conversation this week uh, on Twitter and the thing I say is, okay, look, you could say they didn't like players, but Ardarius Washington was available there. They went out and they had to, they had to really compete for his services. Yeah. So why wouldn't they trade a seven next year for seven this year, which, by the way, I think would have been possible. I think there were mm-hmm. a lot of teams who thought, yeah, isn't there really no one we want? And they, and they would have accepted a seven for seven trade deferred a year to reset their draft. Well, I mean, that would have been an option to move back into the draft. So regardless of where the Ravens were in terms of the stairs and, and being uh, uh, still in the draft room, they had to have kind of their eye on that to see if there was a guy. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm still kind of the seventh round. I don't think was that terrible in terms of producing talent. I wonder if we'll, if we'll look at it and look at Tonga in particular um, as a guy who, who the Ravens really missed out on in this draft with a very old defensive line. Uh, you know, they made no move to fix that. That's also a significant insurance need yeah. that they, they could have been filling. So I think we got some names that we're going to want to track in the future. We got Tonga, we got Stone Forsyth, we got Landon Young. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if those guys turn into very productive, you know, multi-year players, then I think we have to say, well, the Ravens whiffed on this one. Yeah. Uh, but they did have the risk of Ricard perhaps not being able to play, you know, this season sure. or at the start of the season. Yeah, and you, and you pay for that not knowing. So it you know all, all fairness, the Ravens from an insurance uh, you know perspective probably did a very prudent thing uh, with regard to making some move for it. And they might sign Mason to a futures contract in January. Who knows? That that, that part's still unwritten. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. All right, I, I, outstanding having you on, Jim. As always, thanks for doing the show. Oh, so much fun for me. Thanks again, Ken, for for uh, inviting me. All right, more than welcome, and we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Thank <laughs> you.